0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Business Line Podcast, I'm Viveita In today's discussion, we're going to talk about the impact of climate change on farmers in India and what companies are doing to mitigate some of those impacts. I have with me Anil Kumar SG, founder and CEO of Samunati, which is a Chennai-based organization. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hello, Nivadita. It's my privilege as well to be part of this uh, podcast series and also sharing our observations and insights from the field on this very, very important topic of climate change in relation to the farmers. Looking forward to the interactions.
0: Thank you for joining us today. How Exactly does climate change affect Indian farmers? What are some of the impact we're seeing right now on the ground? We know things like it has the potential to impact yields, it can reduce yields, it can reduce the quality. So are we seeing some of those issues already happening?
1: Well, uh, one significant reality that all of us have to brace up to, is that climate change climate change is not something in the future something that is looming over us and looming large in terms of threatening the you know the food security and so on and so forth we have to wake up to the reality and smell coffee that climate change is inside it's it's in right and it is indeed impacting the agriculture big time already and we see many manifestations of that in terms of the untimely floods untimely rains and and, and the erratic monsoons and also the newer breeds of pests and other diseases that we are, uh, you know, we, we get to hear from the farmers. So first and foremost, all of us have to realize that the problem that we thought or we have been conveniently pushing to the future is very much here and now. It is very much in our homes rather than, you know, being something that is that is threatening to come. So that is an important realization, Nivedita, that each and every one of us have to start the dialogue on climate change to begin with.
0: So, what are some of the ground impact you are
1: seeing already? Well, take for example, the sowing patterns. You know, the sowing patterns are usually around the traditional stages of arrival of monsoon and you keep uh, your land ready and, and some of the festivals and rituals are associated around the timelines for monsoons, so on and so forth. Gone are all those traditional calendars that our farmers believed in. And that indeed became culture of when to sow, when to harvest, when to reap and when to, you know, take care of the crop. All of those are in a a flux, I would say. Mm -hmm. Take one, you know, couple of examples. You have monsoon that has become very erratic. You take a statistical or a statistician dimension of how much rain did we as a country receive, we may be still there in terms of uh, numbers. But at the farm level, you know, with the microclimatic zones that impact the yield and that impact the timelines, the monsoons have become very, very erratic. You know, you, you really can't predict when it would rain and how. And, and so are the temperatures. I'm sure you would know that in the last winter, the mustard crop was threatened by, by, by the freezing, you know, cold when it was flowering. And when the mist forms on the flowers is when the pollen does not get converted to the seed and mustard. And it was a big threat talk about pests, you know, you are getting newer newer pests, you are you are getting pesticide resistant pests and all of us know the entire dialogue around the pink bowl worm of the cotton growing farmers where uh, there is absolutely no remedy uh, at this point in time on the BT cotton strain when it comes to the pink bowl uh, worm. So whether it is following the practices of the traditional agricultural cycles to, you know, dealing with, you know, when it is supposed to rain as per our predictions to the feta company in terms of untimely uh, rains as well as, you know, the, the foliage and the flowering thing that gets uh, that gets impacted either uh, through pests or through uh, sudden dip in temperatures or rise in temperatures, you know, that the entire, you know, wheat uh, output got threatened the year before thanks to Very high temperatures for a few days in the northern belt. All of this are basically manifestations of the, you know, the climate change that the planet is going through in relation to specific farmers and specific uh, value chains. Uh, Our farmers are not prepared for it, you know, other than being taking it as fait accompli. At this point in time, uh, you know, there is no mitigation from it at a farmer level.
0: So that was my next question to you. How prepared are Indian farmers or farmers across the world to deal with this impact? In India, we already know that India is going to be one of the places which is affected most by climate change. How are farmers and the government at large dealing with it?
1: There are two dimensions to this, Nivedita. Dimension number one is how a, how is a farmer trying to uh, you know deal with this? Mm-hmm. Second is at a policy level. It is at the sector level or at a policy level. How, how are we looking at doing it? And both are two independent cohorts, right? Uh, but then the, you know, both are interdependent. Uh, any policy change and and we all know the challenge with the stubble burning and things like that, you know any policy change at that level is still grappling with how do we deal with a practice that has crept in 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 one part of the country and that changes uh, that is altering the quality of air around the entire geography. but let us look at the farmer per se. There are five dimensions when it comes to you know the farmer responding to any change first and foremost, are they aware? that, you know, these are the changes that we need to, you know, we, we need to first accept that, you know, climate is one of the things that is threatening our traditional ways of uh, agriculture and not going through the traditional ways of agriculture is going to be the future. So mm-hmm. how do I equip myself to be able to do that? You know, how, how do we bring awareness? So what we observe is that there is a fair degree of awareness now, thanks to the, you know policy and and the you know uh, training programs and also they are wearing the shoe they know where the shoe is pinching right they they are experiencing the vagaries of nature more frequently than what they were earlier there is a fair bit of awareness uh, in terms of what do we do about it so if when there is an awareness then what do i do as as mitigants are are there solutions available to us This, I feel, is where there are some green shoots that we are seeing at a tech level, you know, where Mm -hmm. people are basically looking at, you know, bringing in technology interventions to be able to deal with some of these changes, not all changes, but those technologies are yet to reach the farmer. And of course, you know, farmer has his or her own journey to, to make once the technology is made available or once the solution is made available. But at this point in time, the solutions that are, available need to be proliferated you know take for example drip irrigation is one i'm, I'm talking of paddy paddy is one of the crops mm-hmm. that actually generates a lot of uh, greenhouse gases uh, ghgs so how, how do we you know look at the direct uh, rice seeding mm-hmm. uh, DSR, direct seeding of rice as a practice than putting rice in a nursery and then transplanting it and then you know doing the entire flood irrigation so, you know, several experiments have proved that uh, the yield in, in this DSR method of rice indeed is good. But how do we make a large scale shift for the farmer to be able to do that? And this is where the you know policymakers can, can play a significant role, which in our country has got demonstrated during the Green Revolution. You mm-hmm. know, moving from low yielding varieties to high yielding varieties and moving from sustenance agriculture to now the surplus agriculture all happened in matter of couple of decades at full scale and in matter of few years when uh, the country embarked on uh, moving away from food scarcity to you know self-efficiency uh, and then to surplus mm-hmm. right If if There is a way where we we proliferate such practices by providing a safety net to the farmer because all these changes in practices threaten the livelihood of a farmer for that particular season. And given that most of the farmers in our country are marginal and smallholder farmers, we cannot let them be at the receiving end of a decision that has not gone right. Is there a safety net that we can provide saying, hey, if you have practiced your traditional methods of doing your cultivation... And if your income is, say, you know, 50,000 rupees. By changing this process, if for any reason your income falls below 50,000, then the differential is something that we will underwrite. Mm-hmm. If it is more than that, you keep with you. You see, those kind of insurance products or those kind of safety net products, if they come in conjunction with the practices that would proliferate a sustainable or climate smart agriculture would be one area where the adoption can become better.
0: So, do you see that happening now? Right now, what we see is that minimum support price keeps increasing from year to year. But are we doing more on the uh, back end side as well?
1: I think there are two different things. You know, Nivitha. one one stream is looking at how do we support the farmer on the produce that is already there. Hmm. We are talking of a behavior change, a behavior change leading to a risk that the farmer is exposed to being mitigated by an insurance product. So it, it, it needs a, a larger approach than you know providing a minimum support price for the yield that has already come. An extension of that. You know, something you know MSP is also a risk mitigation strategy, right? Yeah. And the farmer would get at least this much. So if there is a way where we we bring in the principle of MSP to a climate change adoption practice, then that would go a long way in making large scale changes in the adoption by the farmer. Finally, you have to incentivize the farmer to move from practice A to practice B, which is in the long-term interest of the planet and the people.
0: So it's interesting uh, you say that because MSP is a mitigation project. That's how they incentivize people to grow more uh, wheat and rice, right? So are you seeing something similar on the ground where they're incentivizing, uh, using newer technology to ensure that they get better crop yield or or if they're indulging in uh, climate-safe farming
1: practices? I don't see a large-scale intervention happening today, but that is the direction that we need to go. And and this is where we are seeing the green shoots. At least there is a technology that can be taken to the field. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that that's what I mean by availability. Is there a technology that is available? once you have that is it affordable affordability mm-hmm. comes from three dimensions affordability from the dimension of making some systematic investments to be able to bring in that technology and you you, you did mention about drip irrigation now drip irrigation entails some capital investment yeah. now there are there are multiple subsidy schemes that are available for the capital investment but most of these schemes are on a reimbursement basis uh, second one is of course the uh, solar pumps you know when when you don't you don't consume you know because when electricity is not there they also consume fossil fuel to moving moving to solar pumps again there are many many subsidy schemes that encourage people moving from solar and again most of them are on a reimbursement basis so one is there you know a technology second is the affordability can i afford them today from a mitigation perspective can i also afford the outcome of it right it's easier to have a trip irrigation because the outcome is that you can have a crop with li- limited water There is no problem with that. Uh, Easier again in solar pump because instead of using fossil fuel or electricity when you don't have it, you still use solar pump. There is no direct correlation to this particular input to the output of the produce. But if the intervention is move away from from flood irrigation to drip irrigation for sugarcane, as an example, or move away from flood irrigation to drip irrigation for paddy, if there is one, or the DSR or the dry paddy cultivation that we have, This returns the possibility of the yield. Now, that is where most of the farmers then become apprehensive of whether they can afford fall in the yield on account of changing in the practice that is not mitigated. And that's where revenue guarantee structure, where there is an assurance to the farmer that you will get at least what you would have otherwise got in your previous practice. Like how some of the students take improvement exams, no? That, you know, if you get better marks, you take the better marks. If you don't get, then you will at least retain it's the old one, Yeah, right. The Cambridge the A-levels actually provides for that. Yeah. Right. Something similar, something similar where you have to handhold them to move mm-hmm. to the practices that are not an option anymore, which are uh, necessary changes that we need to bring about. Then brings, how difficult is it to adopt it? right? Does it require more manual labor? Does it require large scale mechanization? That, that Does it require ecosystem level changes? That, does it require certification? You know, how, how easy is it to adopt those changes? And the easier the adoption is, the better it is for the, you know, for the farmer to be able to move uh, these practices. And last but not the least, the adaptation, you know, of, of the practices to the climate change. This is where I would like to bring in what I mentioned this, you know, the time and space. There are many practices which are here and now. Some of the practices yield results in the long run. How do you bring in a balance between short term and long long term? Because any intervention that you have, wherein, you know, the results are available to you in the next season or the season after or the season after, then it's easier for them because both the low income households as well as smallholder farmers appreciate something that is available here and now than something that would accrue them benefits far away in the future far away could be five years how do we make that happen and and also the dimension of incentives you know we we all keep talking about carbon credits for the farmers and and how to augment income there but how how do you bring that money to the farmer in the season itself so Mm -hmm. if there is if there is a way where we bring in you know uh, a product level dimension a technology intervention as well as innovative structures to combine all the three one the dimension of the income protection for the farmer the dimension of having the ability to adopt and the dimension of, you know, the adaptation to climate change practices with the benefit here and now. The combination of these three would go a long way in making sure that the farmers see value in in such changes. Uh, Else, uh, you know, the the short-term here and now requirements will overtake the long-term important changes. This is basically what we always talk about in the management jargon, the urgent and important. The urgent always gets the attention, the important would get pushed to the later date.
0: Okay. So, agriculture is not only about farming, right? So, there are so many other related ecosystems uh, which are a part of it. How are all of those systems also being impacted by climate
1: change? Let's look at climate change from one specific perspective, Nivedita. Let us look at it from the carbon perspective. Right. The carbon in the soil is important and the carbon in the air is a challenge. In other words, more carbon in the air is a challenge, less carbon in the soil is a challenge. So if there is a way to, you know, to, to move the needle on both sides is when you can take care of the center carbon emissions and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and Samunati is part of an initiative called 4P by thousand. This is an offshoot of COP23. With, with France uh, being the uh, secre- secretariat for this initiative, wherein if you increase the carbon content in the soil by four parts per thousand, then the entire atmospheric carbon is taken care of. Now, you know, how do we increase the carbon in the soil? How do you make sure that the biochar that is so critical for the growth of the plants and the foliage in, into the soil would be an important dimension that all of us will have to will have to look at? Now, these are what I say, you know, the sectoral level changes, you know, can we now make biochar making units uh, as part of uh, the MSMEs or PMFMV kind of uh, schemes where production of biochar or, or production and distribution of activated biochar to the farmers mm-hmm. have the ability to mitigate the production losses or increase the uh, increase the productivity of the land. Mm-hmm. Second, the bigger risk that all of us at the planet level globally are also going to face, or we're already seeing parts of it, is the dimension of the vitality of the soil. Many of the, you know, soil or land masses that we have are moving towards not having enough vitality to grow agriculture anymore, losing losing their ability to support farming. How do you revitalize our soil? Soil health then becomes a bigger one. Because when you talk about long-term initiatives, without healthy soil, Whatever other technology that you use, whatever, you know, pesticides, fertilizers that you use, you know, base is the health of the soil. Uh, I was basically in the 4P by 1000 Asia Pacific Conference and and while explaining why soil is important, you know, stumbled upon a nice analogy. What is net worth to the business is what soil is to the agriculture.
0: That's a very nice analogy,
1: isn't it? You take the net worth. Uh Uh-huh. You may be a loss-making entity, you may have short-term you know, P&L mismatches, but if your net worth is still reasonably or if you are well capitalized and have a good net worth, the underlying business is still valuable. Hmm.
0: Very interesting
1: analysis. Loss-making, you may have you know, you know, a million transactions happening on a daily basis, but your net worth is negative. A negative net worth company from a banker's perspective is bankrupt. You cannot lend even if you have a large order from you know from a bunch of the best corporates that you can supply to, if your net worth is negative, you would not be able to raise money, you would not be able to produce, you would not be able to honor the commitments that you have as confirmed orders. Similar is soil for agriculture. You know, if, if your soil is not vital enough, if your soil is not healthy then your net worth in the agriculture gets eroded. Whatever other interventions that you put would not work because the foundation is depleting. Hmm. So all of us have to also realize that while many other things are important, the vitality of the soil and the soil health is akin to having a net worth of agriculture intact.
0: Okay, so uh, I'd like to move on a little bit to talk about financing for these projects. So you are a major financer of agri-products for both farmers and in the ecosystem. So have you seen an impact of climate change on your loans and how are you dealing with it?
1: Well, uh, we have not seen an impact of our loans on the climate change directly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where we can draw a correlation between one plus one. Yeah. Uh, but what we certainly see is you know the, the number of interventions that need to be financed at a startup level that can help mitigate that risk. For example, we work with a soil testing entity and make the soil testing possible at you know each of our fpos and farmer levels so that they know how healthy their soil is and what they are looking at growing and how can they grow is one dimension mm. the second dimension that we are also working on is you know on on water uh, we work with an entity called plasma waters where they are looking at bringing ionized water to boost the production in agriculture and build the immunity for the you know oh. plants so that they become more pest resistant and uh, be healthy. Two such units are under pilot testing, uh, one near Chennai, near Chengalpet, and second one is in Hyderabad in Kanhash Antivanam, where we are having varietal trials of crops being irrigated by ionized water through plasma waters. Second, before seeding, the seeds being you know, soaked in the ionized water of plasma waters. You know, how, how do you bring the strength at the seed level is, is the second one that we are looking at we also have funded many many startups in the agri space which are looking at the, the shared net farming so that the pest you know pests would come down you know the, the hydroponics and aquaponics and so on and so forth we also look at uh, how do we build the dimension of uh, zero waste in, mm-hmm. in in the farming so that we bring in the dimension of circular economy and with the iit madras research park we are actually looking at uh, banana and uh, tomato in terms of uh, uh, how do we bring in the entire value chain Uh, So that the income levels of the farmers would go up not only by the fruit, but also by processing the rest of the uh, plant produce. So Samunati's endeavor would be addressing the problem, Mm. Uh, addressing the problem in an income dimension level. Can we augment the income levels of the farmers so that they would be able to not completely depend on one particular uh, outcome in terms of the income, which is the crop? Well, of course, dairy is a big value chain that we work in. Fisheries is the other big value chain that we work in and so on and so forth. Having said that, the awareness dimension that we speak about, uh, we do conduct uh, a lot of training programs on uh, the sustainable agricultural practices. As an entity, we we are, uh, you know, ESG driven entity. So there there are definitions of what we can do and what we would not be doing. And, and also look at supporting interventions like solar pumps, like biofuels you know soil enhancing uh, uh, inputs and so on and so forth
0: so how are uh, organizations like yours which only looks at the agri sector different from let's uh, say big banks like an SBI or, uh, or any of the public sector banks hows your approach to this to giving out loans different from the bigger banks
1: well our engagement is transactional plus uh, you know non traditional i would say we don't underwrite the balance sheet we don't underwrite the cash flows we don't underwrite the availability of collateral we basically underwrite the farmer who is a member of a collective through two capitals. The social capital, which is a familiar type information between them and their collective, and trade capital, which is a transaction history between both of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whom to lend social capital, how much to lend trade capital, with the farmer collective being the recommending authority there. Whereas most of the banks look at engaging with the farmer directly, and more often than not, Uh, they would look at collateral or the uh, charge on the standing crop being the collateral for them to be able to look, uh, to be able to uh, lend. So in our context, the one who does farming is the farmer, Mm -hmm. not necessarily the one who owns the land. Mm -hmm. And and second dimension of we being, you know, in the finance space is that 15% of our total book is actually climate smart compliant assets. We also have issued impact bonds. And more importantly, we have also issued green bonds you know, through a couple of our uh, DFIs that we work with.
0: Can you give us a little more information about that? That's uh, That sounds interesting. So what have you uh, invested in all the money that you have gotten from the green bonds and DFIs?
1: So it's basically, uh, you know, a DFI subscribing to our assets, which qualify to be green assets based on global principles of how they they classify the green assets. So our lending to solar pumps, our, our food forestry are increasing the you know, foliage, our uh, engagement on uh, on uh, gender, for example, you know, specific to increasing the women entrepreneurship, then, you know, non-timber forest produce value chains that we mm-hmm. have, anything that retains the forest cover, enhances the green cover, as as well as, you know, reduces the footprint on the GHGs. Uh, are the ones that qualify and and 15% of our portfolio falls in one bucket or the other. We also are big in the the biofuels like ethanol and so on and so forth.
0: So we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the issues that we have uh, because of climate change. So one aspect to mitigate that is insurance. So insurance right now is very, it only comes, kicks in as insurance does when uh, there is a calamity. Because we're seeing more and more calamities, how is the insurance sector in general going to deal with the crisis for agricultural businesses?
1: It's a circular logic, yeah. right? One leading to the other. Now, of course, there is calamity and, and the proliferation of insurance is abysmally low in the rural and agri space. One of the ways that insurance as a sector works is on large scale adoption so that there is diversification, right? A, a, you know, a focused approach to only one geography would basically create a concentration risk for the insurance companies. If there is a way where you know government takes up you know the, the entire country and then say hey we we will basically look at covering the entire risk in in relation to the climate smart across the country and and you know all of us will have to basically underwrite the risk not in particular geographies but 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 in a larger larger area so that there is diversification could be one mm-hmm. the second dimension that we can also look at is incentivizing the climate change you know adoption practices at the farming level how, how do we incentivize them and and of course there are there are multiple ways to do that and we have spoken about insurance as only one dimension. The mm-hmm. second dimension that we spoke about is the carbon credits. Uh, the third dimension could be, could be your idea of a delta over MSP if produce from the climate smart agricultural practices are being sold.
0: That's a really good idea, isn't
1: it? Yeah, of course. If there is a delta over, hey, if you have used DSR method of rice cultivation without consuming too much of water because there is uh, at the field there is not much of incentive to reduce the water consumption because it's freely available electricity is free water is free so you you, you don't have a tangible outflow in terms of cost effectiveness mm-hmm.
0: uh
1: but then we all know that uh, these are precious resources you know in a way if you are exporting rice you are essentially exporting water fresh water yeah. right it's an expensive resource yeah right and, and only few countries have that
0: mm-hmm.
1: And, and it is getting depleted, it is getting more and more scarce. How will you sustain it? So if there is a way where you incentivize saying the produce that you produce by adopting climate smart agricultural practices, and, and, and then lays that with the, you know, gap structures, you know, the general mm-hmm. agricultural practices saying, hey, if we can document the gap for climate smart agricultural practices, and incentivize the farmers who are adapting to those in terms of uh, higher payouts plus hand-holding, you know, large-scale changes would happen. I think it has to be a concerted effort uh, by both the policymakers as well as uh, individual farmers to be able to uh, address the climate change, so to say.
0: So finally, I'd like to end our conversation by talking a little bit about uh, carbon credits. We know now that carbon credits is an emerging field and many in the Indian government is now only working on getting a market in place. If it happens, as it usually does, large corporations will take it and then it will slowly percolate down to uh, to the farmers. If it happens. So, is there any way to quicken it up? Because if farmers are able to earn extra income just by farming, just by doing their own core activities in a climate resistant manner, it will help them and the economy and the world as a whole, right? So, what is the status and where are we going from here?
1: Well, it, 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 it is a huge potent tool that all of us have to make climate change happen at the farmer level by incentivizing the farm livelihoods. Hmm. Say, you know, huge potent weapon that we, we all of us have. My own experience, Nivedita, of this carbon credits are describing a God. Everybody knows about it, but nobody knows about it, <laughs> right? Everybody talks about it.
0: Yes, yeah. Right?
1: But then th- there is this entire... In a framework of what is called MRV, right? Uh, you, you have to measure it and then you get it rated and then you get it verified. And, and how do you make that happen? All of that is, is still evolving in the space. So in the carbon market, my understanding is that there are two dimensions. Dimension number one is the long-term afforestation and then the entities that are supposed to buy carbon credits buy that uh, so that they can continue doing what they are doing. I, you know, I call that as the you know uh, confession box model, where you confess and then say, hey, you are relieved to go and continue doing what you are doing. Hmm. Second one is the the community movement model, where you basically build the entire community practice around. Bringing carbon more in the soil, deal with the carbon outside, and I I have indeed you know come across two initiatives that can make that happen. One is basically the biochar. You know you can burn the agri waste without oxygen because with oxygen it will become it will become ash. Yeah you burn it without oxygen, there is a process to do that. You then convert that into charcoal and you activate that and put it in the soil as a nutrient or as as an additive, the carbon content in the soil would go up. And there are a couple of entities that I am aware of who are basically looking at testing the carbon content in the soil before applying biochar and then after applying biochar. And the difference of that is something that can accrue as carbon credits. Second, agri-waste is agri-waste. Instead of burning and and releasing the carbon outside, if there is a way to burn it without emission, that can actually go into bricks as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there are entities which, which have the ability to measure all of that as they are called carbon sink entities, I understand. These entities have the ability to issue certification saying these are the number of carbon units that have got sequestered on account of this particular practice. The carbon accumulation one gives much more than the, the carbon saving one. I understand with the biochar, the per ton of carbon gets anywhere between 100 to 120 dollars per ton. Whereas from a forestation per ton, you get anywhere between 15 to 18 tons. These are all the numbers that I'm aware of as through the conversations rather than having verified uh, doing the transactions. That's not uh, you know what it is. So if there is a way where we bring in and these are all short term, you know, the agri waste comes after every season you create a biochar entrepreneur in the field within a radius of 3 4 villages and this would be about a lakh of uh, lakh of rupees of investment the agri waste is actually bought by this entrepreneur which means the agri waste is giving giving the farmer a little more uh, income than throwing it or or burning it convert that into biochar and give it back to them in an activated form and then also incentivize them with with uh, with the carbon credits that accrue All of this happening in a shorter cycle would be more remunerative and would be more easy to adapt in the carbon credits rather than you sow a plant now and then after three years is when they are eligible to be uh, measured if there is a carbon addition that is happening. And then after that is when every year you get a little bit. It's not either or. I certainly feel that a shorter tenor one would be more replicable. Mm -hmm. More easily replicable than the long-term one through our farm. and
0: it's also attractive for the farmers. There's some benefit for
1: yeah, because there is a there is a direct pecuniary benefit.
0: To yeah. That. Okay. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today.
1: My privilege.